This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. Guys, it's so good to be here today. My name's Andrew. I've been introduced already. This is my wife, Lorraine. We lead Falkirk Vineyard, which, as we all know, is the epicenter of Scotland, <laughs> the main place. And you guys are lucky because you get to hang on the fringes of Falkirk, you know, so it's great. But no, we're so thankful. Thank you, Fiona, for your kind introduction. It always makes me smile when somebody says that we've offered wisdom. Um, but it's just great. It's an absolute joy and privilege for Lorraine and I to be with our vineyard family in Stirling. Um, we know this city well because we only live 20 minutes away. It's literally a 20-minute drive. Uh, and before I, I worked for Falkirk Vineyard, I'm employed by the church, um, Stirling was my place of work. I was the store manager in Primark in, in the Thistle Centre. So I know the city well, I know the people well, or I know some of the people well. So um, it's just great to be here. We're also friends of Hannah and Stan. We've known Hannah for a, a good few years now, and obviously Stan more recently. Um, and we get to meet... Levi for the first time today, so we're really, really excited. Um, you know, we watched Hannah plant and establish this church from close quarters because Hannah and the first wee crew that she had from Stirling, um, they came and hung out with us in Falkirk on Sundays before you established Sunday services here. So again, it feels, we feel really close to you guys because of that, and it feels, it feels like family. And Ali and Fiona, we've actually known these guys for over a decade. It's been a long time. And they still look as young now as they did back then. But we've just watched these two grow incredibly uh, as faithful followers of Jesus and faithful servants to his church. And I remember Hannah telling Lorraine and I a few years ago that Ali and Fiona uh, were coming to Stirling Vineyard. And we were so excited because Ali and Fiona are like gold. You, you don't come across people like this often in your life. They're absolutely amazing. This couple are amazing, and I hope that you guys know that. Uh, I hope you let them know that, and I hope that you appreciate them. There's a verse in Hebrews, and uh, it says this, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. And I would say in Ali and Fiona, you've got an example worthy of following. And, and also, leading a church isn't easy. We can declare, we can raise our hand and say we, we know that one. Um, so these two need your support and encouragement. They need it. They need it. In fact, they deserve it for all the time, effort, headspace, and heart space um, that they sacrifice for you and for the church. And encouragement, if you think, real encouragement by words is actually free. It costs nothing. So if you want to do something good for free, give these guys an encouraging word. But you can also express it with flowers, wine, chocolates, a cost a gift card, or, or just a handwritten card. So I think for Lorraine and I, we want to encourage you to encourage them. Is that okay? Right, remember and encourage you guys. You know, when we, Lorraine and I reflect on our journey of church leadership, we're convinced that we would never even have got started without the encouragement of people who believed in us when we didn't even believe in ourselves. You know, it's, you need these people in your life. And um, I know you've got a, a couple here who... Uh, Bob and Sandy, you all know, yeah? So Bob and Sandy were actually part of our church when we were in Edinburgh Vineyard. 
and they were in our small group, and they saw in us before we saw that they would, we would plant and lead a church. And they were always saying to us, guys, you can do this, step up, take the lead, take responsibility, you can do that. And they're people for us that believed in us before we believed in ourselves, and we all need that in our lives, don't we? We all need it. Encouragement's great, isn't it? Does anybody like discouragement? Just a show of hands. No, does anybody like encouragement? Show of hands. Yeah. So we know that. So let's be encouragers. Let's be encouragers. And you know, when you read the story of the early church in Acts 2, we find a group of people there who are all in for each other. They're all in for each other. They're very encouraging. They're very supportive. And when we um, look at the story of the early church in Acts, it really is in the very early days of the Christian church. It's really just straight after the Holy Spirit falls on the believers at Pentecost. Peter does that amazing preach. Um, loads of people come to faith, and the apostles are then leading these new Christians and establishing this thing called the church um, that belongs to Jesus. And it says this, let me just read this. In Acts 2, it says this, um, where I'm a verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and prayer. Sorry, sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, what's great is we've engaged in all of that activity this morning, or we, or we currently are. I'm not an apostle, but this is apostles' teaching. <laughs> okay, so when we talk about apostles' teaching, it doesn't mean you might be listening to an apostle, but the teaching that you hear is apostles' teaching fellowship, we're doing that, we're sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. They all met together in one place, sharing everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'd love to be in that church, wouldn't you? Isn't that a great description of church? And that, <clears throat> I quote these verses all the time in our church because this is what I want Falkirk Vineyard to look like. So what I want our church to look like. And I believe that this is the heart of your leaders here, that this is the template and the model for what church should look like. When we read these verses, we don't read about strategy, we don't need to read about method or style or liturgy, but what we find here is a culture of togetherness, generosity, love, encouragement, and growth. Yeah? That is what we find in this passage. And when it says that the Lord added to their number those who are being saved, one of those who the Lord added to their number is introduced to us at the end of Acts chapter 4, and it's a guy whose name is Joseph. And let me just, again, just a few verses, just read to introduce this guy. This is actually, pre, uh, yeah, chapter 4. So it says, all the believers, so we're talking about this group again, were united in heart and mind. Just, just let that hang for a second. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them, bring the money to the apostles uh, to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, 
So this is our guy this morning. There was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So we just got a quick introduction here to this guy, Joseph. It's our first glimpse into who he is. And immediately we see that he's a man of generosity. He's a generous guy. He's a giver. His actions, we can see that he's someone who loves God and not someone who loves money. He loves God, but he's not a lover of money because he sells land to give all that money to the church so that people weren't in need. We, we don't know much more about him, really, other than we don't know if he's a man of wealth, we don't know if he gave out of abundance, or maybe that this was actually an act of sacrifice, we're, we're, we're not sure about that, but we do know that what he gave was significant. He sold his land to bring finances to the work of the ministry that was started in the church. So I'm sure the guys, guys, you would love to have a landowner come into your church, sell the land and fund everything that God has planned for you here. But also we see some of Joseph's character from his, the new name that he's given by the apostles. They call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, I don't know about you, like I'd, I had a nickname at school, but it was just based on my surname. My surname is McNinch, so I was called Ninchy. So it didn't mean anything, but I do remember like there was a guy at school and it, whenever he got in a kind of um, embarrassing situation, his face would go like ex- extraordinarily red and his nickname was Beamer. We called him Beamer. So he actually had a nickname that can identify his character and that's what Joseph gets here. He gets a nickname called Barnabas because he's an encourager. The, the apostles nickname on this. He's a man of generosity and a great encourager. Now, if you've been around church any length of time, you'll know that if we're going to speak about encouragement, Barnabas is the go-to guy, right? That's where, that's where, the, where, where you go to. But as we read on in the book of Acts, we also learn that not only was Barnabas generous and an encourager, he was also a risk taker. And I want to suggest that if you're generous and if you're encouraging, you are also a risk taker. You're also a risk taker. I hope that becomes clearer as we go on. So the next time we meet Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9. It's quite some time later. Um, The church has grown. The gospel has spread to Samaria. Um, It's on its way to Ethiopia with the newly baptized Ethiopian eunuch. Um, But at the same time that the gospel was spreading quickly, there's also been a lot of persecution Um, that has scattered the believers um, across country and out of Jerusalem. And it's in this context of the church growing, but also the church being heavily persecuted. Um, It's that context that we next hear about Barnabas in Acts chapter 9. It begins with this, Acts 9 verse 1, and we get another character appearing. It says, meanwhile, Saul, so Saul who became Paul, okay, Saul was uttering threats uh, of murder with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So this chapter opens with a, a new character called Saul. He's, he's a, a murderer and persecutor of the church, but he meets the resurrected Jesus on a road to Damascus. I'm sure you know the story. He's blinded by the light. Could be a song there somewhere. He meets a priest called Ananias who prays with Saul 
um, and guides Saul, and then Paul is healed from his blindness, and he gets baptized. And then it says in Acts 20, so all this stuff has happened, it says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Now, I just want to picture the scene here. If you're a believer in Jesus in Damascus, you had either run from the persecution in Jerusalem, or you had been led to faith by someone who had run from Jerusalem. So, either way, you would have known of Saul's murderous threats, either directly or indirectly. And now here he is in your town, claiming to have given his allegiance to Jesus and preaching that Jesus is who he said he was. Now we can think, oh, that's great, what a fantastic conversion, what an amazing story. But imagine if that guy turned up here, someone who was killing Christians, who was maybe even responsible for the death of some of your friends or your family, and then he turns up this new guy, this new person. I think we would probably be quite skeptical about this guy's conversion. We might be ultra-cautious or maybe even just give him a complete wide berth. And I think most of us in that situation would expect that this could possibly be a trick that Saul was playing to infiltrate the church and then start his persecution and killing again. And this made it a really tricky time for Saul because as you can imagine, things get dangerous for him. So he's got two on two fronts. So one, the Christians don't trust him. And secondly, the people who used, he used to work for, who he's now preaching against, want to kill him. So Saul then finds himself in this really precarious situation. So what he does is he leaves and returns to Jerusalem. But when Saul arrives in Jerusalem to connect with the church and uh, the believers there, it says that he tries to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. This church in Jerusalem think what I've just suggested there, that Saul's trying to trick them to infiltrate and then start his killing ways again. But then Barnabas steps in. Barnabas appears back in the story. It says this in Acts 9.27, Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now, right there in those two sentences, we find out that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, the most generous guy we think in the church there, is also a risk taker. Barnabas, by bringing Saul into the church, by bringing him amongst the believers, introducing them to the apostles, he's putting absolutely everything on the line here. Because really for Barnabas, he's putting his own life on the line because he's taking a risk because if Saul really is faking it, then he's putting his life, the life of his friends and all the believers in Jerusalem at risk. He's put his reputation in the church on the line if he brings Saul back to the other apostles and then it turns out that he's wrong and Saul is an infiltrator and he's trying to go back to his murderous ways. And his relationship with the other apostles is on the line as he brings Saul in despite of their opposition. He's taking a lot of risks here, right? It's quite a risky strategy. Now, the story doesn't give us all the details, but it's clear that, um, I, I think anyway, it's clear that, that Barnabas has gone to Damascus and listened 
to what Saul had to say. Because it's Barnabas who tells the other apostles about Saul's story. Barnabas took time to give Saul a fair hearing and he listened to the Holy Spirit to discern the truth. When I read this story and think about it, which I've been doing a lot recently, I've been wondering what might have happened to Saul if Barnabas hadn't believed in him. What would have happened to Saul if Barnabas hadn't took a risk on this new convert of this bad guy turned good? I often wonder what may have happened to the history of the church to the movement of the gospel beyond Jerusalem if Barnabas hadn't taken a chance with Saul. Remember Saul, who became Paul, was the tip of the spear that took the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul is the tip of that spear. That was a guy that God had called, and Barnabas saw that and he took a risk. What would have happened if he hadn't done it? What would have happened? What would our New Testament look like? if Barnabas hadn't taken that risk on Saul. You know, sometimes it's our courage, our encouragement, our risk-taking, and our generosity with people that history hinges on. What if someone hadn't revealed Jesus to you? What if someone hadn't told you about the love of Jesus in their life and how you can receive him and become part of that? Where would your life be now? Think of all the people you know. Think of all the people in your circle of influence that you can take a risk on. I wonder what God, the plans God has for their life. I wonder what amazing things they could do in the name of Jesus and for the cause of God's kingdom if we took a risk on them. Do you ever think about that? Because that's what Barnabas did. The whole of history hinged on his taking a risk with Saul. What's ironic with the apostles, though, rejecting Saul, is that they had their own skeletons in the closet. Peter's denials, right? Peter wasn't squeaky clean. Thomas's doubts, the stories of the disciples running away at the crucifixion, they've all been given a second chance. Look at the risk that Jesus took in them to establish his church. You know, this guy, Saul, who became known as Paul, he wrote these words, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. So this is the love is patient, love is kind passage. But he says this, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I like to think that Saul was thinking about Barnabas when he wrote that. I don't know if he was, but I'm, I was a bit of a kind of romantic notion by me in that one. Because isn't that the love, the kind of love that Barnabas expressed to Saul? And of course, this verse is describing the agape, unconditional love of Jesus. We know that. But I believe that this is exactly the same love that Barnabas had and showed for Saul. This is the same love that Jesus commanded to all of us to have for those who love him. John 13, Jesus said to the disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, 
you should love one another. Isn't that the level of love that Barnabas showed to Saul? Isn't that the level of love that should be found in Stirling Vineyard? Here's a question. Here's a question. I ask this to my own church about Falkirk. And it says, do you want to see the people of this great city, your city, transformed by the love of Jesus? That, that evokes a response, people, right? Do we believe, do, is that what we want, right? Is that why we're here? Okay, that's why we're on this journey. So we're agreed in that. Then my encouragement to you today is go after this kind of love. Go after this kind of love. Be loving even towards those you find unlovable. Saul, to the Christians, to the believers in the early church, was the most unlovable person you could think of. Be, unlovable, be loving even to those who you find unlovable. And if you are someone who is hard to love, make yourself lovable by loving others well. You hear that one? If you're hard to love, make yourself lovable by loving others well. I'm a great believer in and if you want to receive love, you give love. If you want to be encouraged, be encouraging. If you want to receive generosity, be generous. He who sows little reaps little, but he who sows plentiful and plenty will, will reap plentiful. And did you know that the way you relate together as a church community directly affects your city. The way you relate together as a church community directly affects your city. Because in this commandment to love each other, Jesus says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There is enough um, displacement, there's enough estrangement, there's enough brokenness in this world without, without finding it in the church. Who wants to come into a church community that reflects the brokenness of the world? But imagine stepping out of that into this place. And you know, I sense it here. I sense it that there's a togetherness here the welcome we got today was incredible. Like, you guys are really warm and welcoming. I mean, you've got every tea available under the sun there. You can't be more welcoming than that. Let me just kind of wrap up with this. Why, why is it that we love the way we love? Why is it that, that Jesus wants us to love our brothers and sisters, our church family in the way that, that he described in John 13. Why is it that Barnabas knew and lived out this agape love of Jesus towards Saul and to others? Hebrews 10 says this, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. No good time to get into why that's so super significant, but this morning when we began to worship, we were straight in to the presence of God. There's no barrier. We call in the name of Jesus, we're in. We're in because of his blood. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, 
Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are saved. This is what Hebrews is telling us. You are saved and you have access to the true and living God. That's why we're here today. We worship God together. We invite the Holy Spirit and the very presence of the living God comes into this actual space all because of Jesus. Our passage goes on to say, so, so because of that, hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why do we love? Why do we encourage? Why do we expect? Do we express generosity? Why do we take risks with people? Because that's what he did for us. We're just reciprocating what we've already received. We're taking our salvation and our love from Jesus and we're giving it away. We can, we can start any ministry we like. We can feed the poor. We can create plans and strategies for growth. We can work really, really hard for the church. But we have to have love. We have to encourage and urge each other on, as, as Hebrews asks us to do. We have to take risks on people. I think my time is gone. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? When I was praying about coming here today, um, God said to me, he didn't actually say to me. It's funny, God, did, see when we say that God speaks, isn't it strange? It's not that, it's almost like you sense it. But the thing that I got was that I was, when I came here today, God said to me that I was going to walk into a room full of talent and gift. So I was kind of expecting that today, and I really sense that that's what we have in this room. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of gift. There's a lot of different skill sets in here. But without love, it's nothing. But with love, it's everything. There's natural giftings that you guys have, natural talents. There's also gifts and talents that God has given you on top of that but they only function powerfully and effectively if they're rooted in love. We're going to pray in a second. But I just want to quote something else from Saul, who became Paul. 1 Corinthians 13, he said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that could move mountains 
but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Guys, I believe that God is calling you in Stirling Vineyard to be a place and a people of encouragement and to be a place and a people of risk. Okay, I just want you just to, just to hear that and receive that. You're a people of encouragement and you're a people who take risks. That's what God is calling you into. But for that calling to be fruitful, it has to be immersed in love. So I'm going to, I don't really, I've, I've not seen how you do ministry and stuff before, so I'm just going to take a, take a chance here, okay? Okay, so I'm just going to ask you just, so, so there's two things I'm going to ask you to do. So when, when we kind of finish this part of the service and you're having your coffee and stuff, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you not, not to get into the small talk, but to go to someone and just tell them something about them that blesses you or something about them that you love and believe in and just encourage them with that. How, how does that sound? Are we up for that? So, that, so that's, that, that's after. But at the moment, I think, I think we need to pray. And... I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in a second, but when we invite the Spirit to come, remember, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of encouragement. Do you know what? It describes the Holy, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the comforter. Do you know actually the root of that word actually means encouragement? If you think about comfort, when you comfort someone, isn't that an act of encouragement? You know, we, all, we normally use that in, um, when we're thinking about people that, are, people that are grieving. But the act of comforting someone in grief is the, the, the most raw expression of encouragement because you go into someone who's in a hopeless situation, you're offering comfort and you're building them up. And sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to go on, but this thing's coming at my head here. You know, the two things, the Church of Jesus Christ is a growth project. So anything negative that's in the church can't be of God because negativity pulls things down. God is all about growth. And the other thing is that God is a pursuer of his people. God is a pursuer of his people. God is an optimist. God is an encourager. He believes in his heart, or his heart is that all men, all people should be saved. That's an encouraging message, isn't it? And if that is God's heart, that can be our heart. We go after people. Anyway, I could go on. Let me just pray, and I'm just going to, I think maybe just where, rather than call people forward, why do you just where you are? If you... If you want prayer this morning, just, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Anything I've said, anything at all. Nobody, nobody. I'm in, I'm in the church of Jesus Christ and nobody wants prayer. Up there, okay. What I'm going to do is, 
we do this in our church a lot, so this is a bit of a shock that I don't see an array of hands. So if someone has their hand up, have you had your hand up, put your hand up and put it up high? Right, there's hands raised. Right, go to, if a couple of you could just go to that person, just pray over them. Don't have to ask them what it's for, just pray. And just speak truth and pray the promises of God over them. We read a verse earlier on that said, God is always true to his promises. Let me, let me pray for you guys. I just want to pray a blessing over you and then I'll hand back to Fiona. Father, we love you. We love you. We love what you have done for us and we love what you are doing for us and we love what you have promised to do for us. So God, we give you our past our present, and our future. You've dealt with our past. You're with us and our present, and you know our future. So God, we give it all to you. And I ask, God, would you stir up men and women who encourage, who build up, who seek out the golden people and call it out and take a risk. And Father, your word shows us that when we do that, you will build your church. You will add to your church. Yeah, so Lord, I pray for sincere, authentic hearts. God, my, my prayer is that anyone walking through the doors of this church, Lord, into this building, would immediately be consumed by the love of Jesus. Not just because you're here, but because your people are here. Yeah, so we just seal that in every heart. We seal that in every heart. We believe your word. We believe your promises. We believe that everything that comes from you is good. And that everything that is done in your name is good. It's good for us and it's good for others. So let us be that people. And God, would you move across Stirling in a mighty way? Would you let the wind of your spirit blow across this city? Lord, that it be even be a... a a starting point, a, an epicenter. Let it be the eye of the hurricane as the, as the Spirit blows across this nation, Lord. This city is not insignificant. So we pray, Lord, that you would return this city to you, that its people would face Jesus and know him. Amen. Amen. I'm conscious of time, but just a couple of things you know God's not done yet this morning um, and there's just a couple of things I want to say is one I felt that God was sharing about reconciliation people aren't perfect but Jesus is so please don't leave here this morning without getting prayer or grabbing someone and praying into that perfect love that's in Jesus that reconciliation 
We don't want that to be a barrier between you living this full life that Jesus has planned for us. Um, also, just as Andrew mentioned, go and grab someone or go and speak to somebody. Tell them what you love about them. Go and encourage them. Go and tell them what gifts they might have. Uh, don't feel awkward about it. This is a safe space. Just go. Go and bless people. Thanks for listening to the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.